0: Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with RYOBI's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done.
1: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring
3: I am your one and only host, Liv, and this is Let's Talk About Myths, baby! Now, I am still on my much, much, much much-needed holiday in Greece, which is why I'm bringing you a re-airing of one of my all-time favorite episode arcs. And not only is this one of my favorites for what should be obvious reasons, but it fits so perfectly with the end of the ongoing series I've had reading the Argonautica, and frankly, I was just thrilled to have an easy, already-recorded episode to bring you while I'm off enjoying wine and olives and finally finishing my novel so you nerds can read this thing I've been trying to finish for well over a decade. I couldn't have needed this holiday more, honestly. The past two years have been incredible and exciting, and also dark and horrible, but it turns out that having an unexpectedly successful podcast is really stressful and exhausting, and a pandemic doesn't help. Two episodes per week? Social media, production, editing? All just me? Honestly, I am burnt the hell out. Even when I tried to take off time back in July, I was really writing that book of cocktails, Nectar of the Gods, which you can pre-order now. I know, lots of complaints for, like, really cool things, but it's still exhausting. <laughs> but guess what? Yes, obviously there's a cocktail in that book called the Bloody Medea. Anyway, that's all to say. Thank you all for listening along while I take this much needed holiday. I'm excited to have been able to still bring you in so much new content while I'm gone, also to have you listen to these two upcoming episodes again, because, well, it's Medea, and don't we just fucking love Medea? Especially after reading the Argonautica. Reading that aloud to you all really drilled into my head just how much Medea wasn't in control of herself. She was fully influenced by to fall for Jason, and he took full advantage, promising her everything, promising to treat her like a queen back in Greece, to love her forever. That motherfucker. Which is why I'm bringing you today's episode, Medea's story beyond the Argonautica. In today's part one, Medea and Jason have returned to Iolcus after that mess that was the Argonautica, and Medea is ready to sacrifice more of herself for Jason. But next week, part two, where Medea takes control again, and fine, murders a bunch of people, but honestly, most of them deserved it. Or I guess Jason deserved it, but she doesn't kill Jason. We'll get there. I had some great theories and thoughts in these episodes, and there's some that I'm particularly proud of, so I'm happy to have the chance to share them with you again and to have a bit of more time to myself to recoup and start planning the next series of wild and wonderful episodes for you and this podcast. So, with that, I give you. This is episode 66, Medea, See How She Flies, Witchy Woman. Jason brings his new wife, the foreign Medea, home to Iolcus. He's found great success in his quest, he's returned with the famed Golden Fleece, and so the pair and the rest of the Argonauts, are met with celebration by many of the Greeks upon their return. Who is this exotic woman Jason has brought with them, they think, and for now, she is young and beautiful, and Jason is proud of this prized woman. When he returns, though, and is met with all these happy Greeks, one person is missing from the crowd. Jason's father, Aeson. Now I may have noted him as having already died in a previous episode, Perhaps at the hands of Peleus, there are varying stories, and I'm not sure which one I've already said. Ah, Greek mythology. So please just bear with me for now. In this, Aeson isn't dead. He's just grown very old and is certainly nearing his death. This version comes from Ovid, so, you know, I'm using it. Upon visiting his father, Jason sees how close it is to the end for him. But he has an idea. He knows the powers of his new wife, and he knows how to suck up to her. Does Jason believe now that he's a good, devoted husband? Does he really love Medea? At least for now. Or is Jason a manipulative fuck who always plans to do whatever the fuck he wants no matter who he hurts? Jason speaks with Medea. He tells her that he knows he owes her everything, mainly his own life, and that she's already given everything to him. He can't possibly count the ways she's amazing. A savior, Really? He flatters her, tells her just how incredible she is, how he knows it, how he knows he truly owes her absolutely everything. And where or who would he be without her? Medea, my beloved wife, he continues, could I ask one more thing of you? Could you use your magic, your incredible skilled magic, to take some of my own, my excessive youth, and give just a small portion to my father? Give him just a few years more? Jason's crying now as he asks her for this, and I'm trying to believe he's not just a master manipulator. Medea is taken with Jason's pleas. She sees his emotion, how much he loves his father. She wants to help, but not the way Jason wants. She scolds him for believing she even has that power, the power to take life from one person and give it to another. Quote, "'May Hecate forever hold me back from that,' she says. "'I will try to extend Jason's life,' she reassures her loving husband Jason. "'But not by taking life from you. I'll use my own magic, my very own magic, and nothing else to extend Jason's life.' provided Hecate helps me to realize these powers. It's a few days before the full moon, when Jason asks this of Medea, or as Ovid says, quote, The moon was three nights short of rounding out its horns. The crescent moon being representative of the bull in that world. What a beautiful way of describing it, Ovid is the king. But Medea needs a full moon to do what she's planned, so she waits for it, and when the moon is full and shining its bright light down upon the earth, Medea sets out. She wears a loose robe, no shoes. Her hair is wild and unkempt, and she wanders through the dark trees in the silence of the night. The earth itself is silent for her. Trees do not stir. Leaves beneath her feet do not crunch. The air is motionless as Medea walks at midnight under the full moon. Medea stretches her arms upward toward the full moon and the glittering stars. She turns around in a circle, three times— And three times she pours fresh water over her head. And three times she wails up at the sky before kneeling on the ground. Medea calls out to the goddess of the night, the guardian of secret rites. She calls out to the stars and to Hecate herself, You are aware of what we do, she calls to Hecate. You shield and shelter our magic, our sorcery, she calls. And to earth itself, she says, you give us our magic herbs. Medea calls to the breezes, the wind, rivers, lakes, mountains, all the gods of the forests and the gods of the shades. She calls to them to be her allies, to help her. My magic can make the sea turn still, or turn a still sea stormy. My magic can push and pull the clouds and the winds. My magic can move rocks, trees, it can make mountains shake." She continues on, it's beautiful. I can't retell it as much as I'd like to. Ovid is incredibly deferential to Medea, though. Here she is as powerful as you can ever imagine, and she knows it. She's telling the reader of her power, her extensive and unending power over nearly everything. I also should note that when she's calling to Hecate here, this isn't a version where Hecate is her mother, so she's calling to the more amorphous, primordial underworld goddess Hecate. Finally, she asks for what she needs, juices that can give life to the old man, bring back some of his years. Through this, she calls too for a chariot for herself, a chariot pulled by winged dragons, and she's given it. A chariot appears before Medea, not pulled by horses or even flying, flaming horses like the ones that pull her father's chariot of the sun. No, this chariot is pulled by bridled dragons with large, full wings, and they are immediately devoted to Medea. She climbs up onto the chariot, gives the dragons a loving stroke, and then they take off, pulling her through the sky. She flies over Thessaly, past the mountains of Osa, Pelion, even Olympus itself. The dragons pull Medea's chariot across so much of Greece and Medea's own land, until they find exactly what she's looking for, her special magical herbs. Medea flies with her dragons, collecting all she needs. Herbs from the riverside of all the famous rivers, those controlled by the most impressive of river gods. She plucks or cuts them from all around. For nine days and nine nights, Medea flies with her dragons, finding all the necessary ingredients, all to provide just a little extra life to Aeson, Jason's father. I'll say again that Jason doesn't deserve Medea. She's devoted. If she wants to help you, she will go to all lengths. It's just too bad she feels she should help Jason. After she's spent these nine days and nine nights flying everywhere imaginable on her dragon chariot, Medea returns to Iolcus. But before she returns home, she builds altars still outside beneath the night sky. One is to Hecate, the other to youth. She wreathes her altars in boughs of dark leaves. Next, she digs trenches nearby to catch the blood of the two black sheep that she then sacrifices. She spills wine on the blood in one spot, warm milk on the blood in another, and then she begins her spells. She calls upon the gods of the underworld, to Hades and to Persephone. She begs them not to call for Aeson's soul too quickly, to give him more time. Once she's convinced the gods of the dead, she gets Aeson himself and brings him outside. She puts him into a deep sleep, stretches him out on the grass beneath the moonlight. She tells everyone to leave or to look away. None are permitted to witness this sacred magic.
0: Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with RYOBI's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Right here,
1: right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
2: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
3: left alone with Aeson, who is still fast asleep under his own spell. So she begins. Her hair is everywhere, like a bacchant. we're told, as she prepares. The altars are ablaze and she circles them, with Aeson between. Medea soaks torches and blood and sets them on fire. Next it's time to purify him. This she does three times with fire, three times with water and another three with sulfur. While she's doing this, though, a potion is bubbling away. Double, double toil and trouble, she recites over the cauldron. Just kidding, that's Macbeth. Her potion is bubbling away in a pot. Inside is brewing all the ingredients she picked and cut from across the Greek world and beyond. Those she spent nine days compiling, Flowers, juices, seeds, even stones and sand, dirty, bloody wings of owls, the innards of a werewolf, the liver of an aged stag, the skin of Libyan snakes, the head and beak of a ninety-year-old crow, all together bubbling away as Medea purifies the body of Aeson. Medea is such a fucking witch queen, I just can't even handle how badass and gross she is. Medea stirs her potion with a dried-out old bough made of olive wood. as seems only right. She's careful to mix it well, getting all the good guts and nastiness from the bottom and mixing them up with the lighter, possibly less disgusting parts from the top. As the olive wood bough stirs the potion slowly... It first turns green and sprouts leaves. Then suddenly olives are growing from the lively branch in her hand. Medea smiles and continues stirring. Now, wherever the potion splatters onto the ground, flowers and grasses bloom as if freshly touched by spring. At this, Medea knows it's time. As soon as she sees this happening, she draws her sword from its sheath because she wears a fucking sword at her side. And she slits Eason's throat in one quick motion. Medea waits. She waits as Eason's blood slowly drains from his body. And when it's done, when he's an empty shell, she begins to fill his veins with the potion. This concoction she's just produced with all its owl wings and werewolf guts. She feeds it into his body, through his mouth and his wound. Slowly, as his body takes the potion in, he begins to change. His grey disappears from his hair and his beard, leaving his jet-black hair behind. His pale grey skin is renewed, the wrinkles disappear. His limbs loosen with youthful energy, and before much time has passed at all, Aeson is reawakened and he feels fucking incredible. Holy shit, he probably said, but Ovid is too fancy to tell us that. He recognizes himself, but from so many years before. Up above, on Mount Olympus itself, Dionysus, Bacchus watches what Medea has done, He is impressed, in awe really, of Medea's work. He thinks of who he too could have Medea help with her youthful magic. With Aeson's youth fulfilled, Medea and Jason turn their attention to Peleus, the man who's taken over the palace, taken over the kingship of Iolcus who sent Jason on the doomed quest to begin with. This action by Medea has inspired them. Peleus, too, is very old and near death. Surely he, too, or his family, would want his youth to be renewed like Aeson? Medea and Jason pretend to have a fight. Medea flees their home, finding shelter with Peleus' daughters. The daughters take to Medea immediately. How could they not? She's pretty fucking incredible. I certainly would want to be friends with her. At least, at this point in the story. Perhaps less so later. But right now, oh man. She's awesome what I wouldn't give to bring over a bottle of red wine and have a girl's night with Medea. So Medea and the daughters become friends. She tells them about her life and her abilities. Particularly Medea tells them about what she's just done, her greatest accomplishment, restoring Aeson's youth, giving him so many more years of life. Pelias is, of course, and I hope I've said this before, Aeson's brother. So not only are they of similar age, but the daughters hear the restoration of their uncle and they immediately wish for Medea to do the same for their father. It should be easy, shouldn't it? or at least as easy as it was for her to restore Aeson, which, fine, took a lot of time and steps, but still, she did it. Medea tells them about what she's done, and she tells them in a way that makes clear she could, and possibly would, do the same for their father. So the daughters beg, beg, and plead with Medea to do this for their father. They tell her that she can have whatever she wants in return, just name it, they say. Medea takes her time in her response. She doesn't answer right away, she pauses to weigh her options. But the daughters are so anxious, they've gotten this fixed in their minds, and my god, do they want this, so, so desperately. Finally, Medea responds. I want to give you more confidence in my abilities, she tells them, surprising them because they were more than ready to just let her do it based on what she's told them about Aeson already but now Medea tells them that she wants to prove herself first, that they can trust her with this gift. "'I'll transform your oldest ram into a lamb,' she tells them, as an example of her abilities. They're eager, of course. They want her to prove herself. So they get hold of their oldest, shaggiest ram, so old, it's this poor animal. They pull and tug to get the animal to Medea. She begins right away. She pierces the ram through with her Thessalian knife— Very little blood flows, the animal's so old. Once it's emptied, though, she places the ram's body into a bronze tub. She adds her potion, her magical herbs. The potion reacts to the ram's body. It shrinks the animal's limbs, burns away its horns, and with that, its years. Finally, from inside the vat, a sound is heard. The bleating of a lamb. And so, in an instant, a cute little lamb leaps out of the vat and goes in search of a mom to drink some milk from. In utter shock, the daughters are now even more sure they can trust Medea to restore the youth of their father. They insist even more forcefully now and even more eagerly. three days pass. Or, as Ovid says in again the most goddamn beautiful way, quote, three times the sun had loosed its steeds into the Spanish sea.'" After these three days pass and on the fourth night, Medea prepares. Medea sets up a cauldron to boil, and into it she adds various herbs, various herbs that have no powers at all. She's making nothing but an unappetizing soup. And as she does... She performs her magic spell, this one being real, for it puts the king, Peleus, to sleep, along with his guards. With her are his daughters, who are there to do whatever Medea orders them to. They bring their father to a couch, and stand on either side awaiting further instructions from the witchy woman. "'What are you waiting for?' Medea exclaims as they look at her. "'Take these swords! Drain his blood!' Drain out the old blood so that I may fill his veins with new, fresh, young blood. Your father's life depends on you now. If you love him, then prove that you have his best interests at heart, that you're trying to restore his youth. Do this for your father. Use these blades to get rid of his old age. And they do. This is all it takes for the daughters, who are thinking they're doing everything in their power to extend their father's life— to bring their blades down upon their father. They hack away at his body at random, frantically, out of love. Peleus, blood pouring from so, so many wounds on his body, wakes up and tries to raise himself from the couch, but his skin is half-shredded, pieces falling from his body as he moves. He yells out, asking his daughters desperately what they're doing. Why are they taking their own father's life? What has led them to this? The women stop. They hesitate, and Pelias would have said more if Medea hadn't scooped up what was left of his shredded body and tossed him into the boiling vat of potion. Of course, Medea isn't rejuvenating Pelias. She isn't restoring his youth. She's just killing him in one of the more troubling ways one can imagine. She's just convinced his daughters to stab him wildly, blindly, before plunging his half-dead, pleading body into a boiling vat of soup. According to Ovid, Medea escapes her fate there in Eolkis by once again utilizing her incredibly cool and badass chariot pulled by winged dragons. In an instant they've appeared and she's climbed aboard, before either of the daughters can even fully comprehend what's just happened. Before they've fully taken it all in, Medea has flown off on her chariot, which brings her to the city of Corinth. But that doesn't account for Jason arriving in Corinth too, maybe he just followed her once he knew the deed was done. Other versions simply have Medea and Jason being expelled from Iolcus, forced to flee the city for what's been done, and making their way to Corinth together. However it happens, the pair do end up in Corinth, where I imagine they are purified of this sin and can continue their lives in relative normality for a while. Medea and Jason have two children, two sons, and they're happy, again, for a time. Eventually, though, Jason grows bored of his foreign barbarian wife. He grows tired of his life with her, his station as not a prince as he was in Iolcus but as a regular man married to a foreign woman who isn't even respected as a true Greek. A woman who speaks her Greek with an accent, who has odd, oftentimes troubling customs. Customs that were once Jason's saving grace. Customs, magic that kept him alive when he would have died. So, so many times. But once those customs, that magic aren't keeping Jason alive or killing his enemies, they become annoying It becomes a source of embarrassment, added to by her general foreign tendencies. Medea's from the East, so she likely doesn't even look like the Greeks. She has dark skin, she's Middle Eastern, Asian in her complexion. And Lord knows how the Western world takes to foreigners with different skin tones. They were then, as many are now, not particularly cool with people who looked different. Or really, they just often felt themselves superior, you know. It's something that we can't ever forget when discussing the story of Medea both with how she was treated in the story and how her story has been retold in the many different versions and treatments. In Corinth, this all comes to a head as her shitty husband in all his shittiness becomes annoyed with his so-called barbarian wife. Enter Glauca, a young, pretty princess who is, most importantly, Greek. But that's for next time. Now for the inaugural segment of... Things the Western world didn't do first. As you might imagine, I'm starting this segment to begin detailing things that are often attributed to the ancient Greeks or the ancient Romans as some sort of so-called proof that these cultures, and by extension the so-called Western world, is somehow superior or gave us the things we deem important today. This idea that we as humans wouldn't be where we are today without them, because that's some dark shit. And we're starting simple with writing the Greek alphabet and by extension, writing and recording generally. Sure, this isn't necessarily something people attribute to the Greeks having done first. We all know about the Egyptians and their hieroglyphs. I hope we all know about the Mesopotamians, too. But still, the civility involved with writing and literature, even just written records, is often associated with the ancient Greeks. And sure, they wrote some awesome things. I do love myself some Homer and Euripides and oh so much more. But the ancient Greek alphabet is typically understood to have been introduced or influenced by the Phoenician alphabet. Phoenicia was the ancient civilization with their main city in Byblos and then Tyre, what is now Lebanon. That's right, not so western and definitely not white. The Phoenicians traded with the Greeks and it said their alphabet came over through those interactions. The Phoenician alphabet is the oldest confirmed alphabet. The Greeks understood this adoption of the alphabet through the myth of Cadmus, who came over from Phoenicia while searching for his sister Europa, who was, as you know, kidnapped by Zeus in the form of a bull. Cadmus, after searching in vain for Europa, made Greece his home by founding the city of Thebes, and doing so, introduced the Phoenician alphabet to the Greek mainland. The Greeks then created their own alphabet based on the Phoenician, According to Herodotus, even, he attributes Cadmus as the person who brought over the Phoenician alphabet to the Greeks. It's not likely that Cadmus actually existed, but even Herodotus believed he did, between 1600 and 2000 BCE. From the Greek alphabet comes Old Italic, used by the Etruscans, which eventually becomes Latin, which eventually becomes, well, French, Italian, Spanish, all the Romantic languages. Oh, and Cyrillic comes from ancient Greek too, and sure, maybe the English language has some other roots in addition to Latin, but the alphabet, well, the alphabet is Latin. What I'm saying is basically all Western alphabets came from the Phoenician. Next time on things the Western world didn't do first, literature. thank you, thank you, thank you. It's so fun that I get to do this sometimes, particularly for a woman like Medea. It's a perfect way to remind you all of the epic stories that I've already told that fit in so well with the latest episodes of this podcast, while also allowing me to finish off my vacation and sort myself out before writing lots of epic new content for you all, which is coming soon. Plus, some really good conversations, including one that's going to be a pretty big deal for a lot of you. (sighs) You're really all the best. Thank you for listening. I am Liv, and I love this shit.
0: This summer, click into Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot and get after those outdoor projects with some serious cordless power from Ryobi. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. Leaves and debris are no match for the 40-volt power of the Ryobi leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with Ryobi's 40-volt cordless string trimmer, yard work, Done and done. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or HomeDepot.com. How doers get more done.
1: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com.